Court Games will be hosting an L5R one-page RPG contest starting April 1st. It will be a month long, with the deadline for entries being on the 23rd of April. The final week is for voting by the community. The theme is Overcoming of Fear. The best overall winner will receive a physical copy of Fields of Victory and Blood of the Linus, or an equivalent value drive through RPG gift card, which is $60. You can enter solo, or you can enter as a team. The sign-up for the Game Jam is now online at itch.io slash jam slash L5R Game Jam 2022. And we'll have links for all of this in our show notes. Hello, and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Fire Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Fire Rings Discord community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. And I am Kikita Kaori. And this week, we are continuing our discussion from on the mechanics of crafting. So we talked about in our previous episode uh, how to incorporate crafting in, the, in an L5R game, uh, difficulties incorporating it, and reasons you used crafting in a game, which was to exercise a passion, to repair weapons and armor or clothing, and to create gifts. This week, we wanted to talk about using crafting, using your artisan skills to customize or create something or create an environment that is intended to make a specific impression or send a specific message to somebody. So it's kind of the equivalent of creating a social trap. Like if you are adventuring in the wilderness and you wanted to make a trap, you can... You know, you dig a hole and you cover up with ferns and you wait for somebody to stumble in or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I was also thinking that when you're saying to incite an effect, I've heard that there's a, I've heard a lot of people who want to make crafting characters who say that the aim is to be the most famous sword maker in the land mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think that this is where that comes in what they what they want the effect they want to incite is this is the best sword sword maker ever or the best artist or the best poet so i think this section is is going to be about that as well it could be though i would think of that more as the glory gains that you would have presenting this sure but that's that's part of inciting effects but this idea of, of, of setting into a trap is also a very interesting one. Right. So if you think about it in this way, you can use these crafted items that you have made to be created either as part of a gift, which we talked a little bit about and, and is kind of what you talked about, or as part of a pre-made show or display or a prepared setting in which a confrontation will subsequently occur. So here's an example. You are going to have tea with an enemy, all right? They are coming to your house and going to have tea with you, and you want to make them really uncomfortable because what you know you're going to do and they don't know is that you are going to 
say, did you really kill that person in the library with the thing? You want them to be strifed out, basically. You want them to be set on edge before you even begin the interrogation. Often with a interrogation, for example, uh, you want them to um, ma- strife out. And, and, and confess in the way that, the, that people do. Yeah. In these yes. things, yeah. That's part of the breakdown of a good compromise. <laughs> but uh, in order to do that, you're, you're inviting them to your room. So how can you use that space? What can you do in that space to push them or set them on edge before you even begin your interrogation, before you even ask questions? And you can use artisan skills for that. Uh, you can, you know, have wall hangings on the wall that have quotes in beautiful calligraphy that remind them of the terrible deeds that they messed up or, or, you know, their dishonor. Or you could have this Ikebana arrangement that, you know, just screams dishonor in the, <laughs> in the arrangement itself. Um, all things to make them on edge before you even begin the interrogation before tea. You could do the exact opposite if you're if this is someone who you're carrying favors with, and you you have the complete opposite, and everything is very calm and inviting, and reminding them of how one should reward generosity. And oh, absolutely, there's a lot of options. Right. Another way is uh, if you have a person that you need to talk to, um, but you can never get them alone because people know that you need to talk to them and they're keeping them away from you. And this is definitely something that happens in a lot of stories. You can send a message to them in an item you gift or a performance you give or in a room that they are going to walk into just to set up a message that you want to talk to them later. And then they'll know that they should come to you. Yes. So so you're, you're gifting a sword, say, to the opposing daimyo, but it is decorated in, you know, butterflies. And he just thinks it's a, it's a, a nice decoration. But because of, of your research, you know that the, the lady of the house is going to recognize that as a message to her to come talk to her. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a gift at all. It can be just in the environment. Absolutely. So this, as we said, this isn't just crafting an item, which is generally used as aesthetics or smithing or making a wall scroll, which we use composition or performing. It could also, you could also consider this as crafting a space, um, which is generally aesthetics. Um, that's changing the feng shui or just room arrangement, right? Uh, also counts as a straight up aesthetics or, um, Clothing. So you change your clothing for the occasion, and that's design, uh, to send specific messages. So all of these are, are crafting skills, but they're using them in this, this kind of way that sets up things for you. You can use fire opportunities to cause additional strife. So if you want to make an upsetting room, you just make lots of fire opportunities, and then anything that happens puts strife on the target so that they will hopefully unmask in in the right way 
for the subtle sending of messages like we were discussing, that would generally be air opportunities. So those little tiny design elements that speak to that one person in the room and no one else. Water opportunities tend to make your next action easier. And I think you can also use them if you want people to be friendlier in general. That's a good one. But uh, especially for an artistic action, a water opportunity can make your next action easier. Earth opportunities can make someone more comfortable and less stressed, which can be a thing you might want to do. In that original, the suggestion I had of when you are currying favor, you may want to use earth opportunities for a calming and relaxing environment. And void opportunities can be used to benefit anything you do with the item, essentially blessing, while selecting a different ring from void. So void has a lot of interesting applications that can be used like that. So basically how you arrange the room, what you, what you do in the room with your artisan skills can set up different effects. And that's kind of what those get at. When you're a GM and you're setting things up for people to do this, I would use relatively low TNs, like TN one or two, because what you're trying to focus on is the opportunities, which derive the benefits. But I would make players clearly spell out what they're trying to do in the room to help themselves with, with the environment. Yeah, they don't need to know the feng shui, but they need to know that, yes, they're arranging the furniture to send this message or they're changing their kimono to send this message. They should be clear. There are some key related shuji to this, and I'll talk about all of these ones. We've talked about Well of Desire before in terms of lowering your target number in a future social role by giving them something they want, right? It can also be used in a different way. Instead of, or in addition to, base, you know, lower the target for the social role. Well of Desire gives the target a loss of glory if they refuse the gift. And they give them strife as well if they actually want the gift and then refuse. So this is something that causes a loss of glory and strife forced on somebody if you give them a bad gift. <laughs> and there's a classic example from L5R first edition of this, um, where a scorpion, well, Bayushi Kachiko, let's face it, uh, decides she wants to be mean to the crane, which she often does. So she invites the crane's guests to a meal, and she serves them roasted crane for dinner. And they had to accept this gift, accept the gift of a meal, because she presented it as like a glorious thing, um, or but it obviously had associated a lot of strife and glory loss and honor loss, whatever. So that's just a different way you can use that particular shuji. Another shuji you can use related to setting up or inciting an effect is offend the sensibilities. And this is, uh, if you have this craft, you can um, spend two opportunities in creating the item to cause too strife to a specific person when they first see the item that you crafted. And if that makes them compromised, 
then they are forced to uh, become either dazed or enraged or silenced when they see it. So this is really targeted. It's very targeted against a person. And it's tricky because one fire can cause two strife off the base opportunity. So what you would do is then say, okay, one fire opportunity causes two strife. I'll do that on top of two more opportunity causes another two strife. So now I've caused four strife. Now you're starting to maybe get to enough that you can do it, but that's three opportunities for four strife. Yeah, I mean, because if you don't trigger that last thing, if they don't get compromised, then that second thing doesn't trigger and so that it kind of feels like it's not worth two opportunities at that point. Right. So it's it's a tricky one to use, but it is intended to escalate. And of course, a GM can always choose, because GMs hide things behind their screen, they can choose to um, decide how uh, strived out the target is beforehand and just what effect they will have by being offended. The one thing that offended sensibilities does is the object, everyone knows it's offensive unless you spend, <laughs> do something else to, to somehow make it subtle. Um, so just things to think about. As written, it's not very good because of how the base fire opportunity works. But you could escalate. <laughs> there, are, there are times when I think there needs to be a bit of a go over and making retuning of certain things, taking into account, okay, what can you do with base opportunities versus that? But anyway, yeah. Right. The last um, related Shuji, and this I have to say in most editions of L5R is one of my favorite things, is cadence. Um, though in old 5R, it was a crane-only kind of special skill, but now they now you all can use it. I have to share. Anyway, <laughs> cadence is wonderful because cadence uh, allows you to send secret message, basically. Um, the way that many GMs play this, and this, is, and this is fine, is if you have all party members with cadence, they can talk to each other by sending little messages with each other, uh, fluttering their fans in certain ways or so on, to to talk to each other in another scene without being overheard, basically. And that's a great way to use cadence. And that's that's often how it's how it's used. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everybody spent in order to do that, everybody spent for the cadence <laughs> technique anyway. So so they can they can do their thing. Another way you can do it is you can use it to send messages through your gifts or through your items or through something you crafted or through a picture or through a fan. The specific colors you're wearing. Body, right, or through any anything to people in the audience, including everybody, you know, just in general, but through a specific person in particular, is where it's most useful. So you can say in your way, in your design artistry, come meet me afterwards in the garden and the the beautiful young woman will get your message. Uh, and it only takes a little bit more opportunity to make it so that she doesn't need cadence to know that. That would be a bad message to accidentally send to everyone, wouldn't it? It's like, this This garden's really crowded. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, the other way to do it is to say, um, meet me 
uh, or use your garments to say to just one person, you are a raging prick. And now you manage to say something incredibly offensive to just one person without anybody knowing what you said. And then they could respond in a not appropriate fashion and you can then like call them out on it. Either that or they just have to suck it up, which, you know, so they're, yeah, they're, they're not, that could be a difficult choice for them. So that's exactly the kind of good thing you want, you may want to do with your, with your abilities. Right. If nothing else, uh, accepting an insult uh, like that, even if no one else knows it, is going to probably give them strife and probably, uh, and if that puts them over into compromised, uh, they will probably respond to that strife or that instigation according to what you've told them. <laughs> if they unmask. So it's a very, very handy um, kind of uh way of using that shuji that's related to this inciting an effect. Now, I don't know if there's an official school that takes advantage of this sort of thing, but the Kikita Artisan School that we homebrewed in a previous episode is certainly one that, that could take advantage of this. We've got a link below to that if you are interested in, in picking that out. So that, that's going to be linked to the school we came up to, came up with using the Path of Waves school generating uh, guidelines. So you may want to check that out. Right. Okay. So we've kind of gone um, through that method of using your artisan or using your artistry and crafting things. The final way artisans work, and this is the most classic, and in some ways it's a little bit of a stumbling block in L5R um, is creating a weapon and armor for your party to use. Because, um, frankly, most of the um, schools in L5R that we think of as crafters uh, are are geared for this, but it's also the the least um, properly, like, set up. All the crafting rules in 5th edition are oriented around this, and yet there's no benefit for it. So we'll talk about that next. I think it's actually one of the more difficult things to do in any crafting system, in any game, where your crafting characters are making mundane items that you can just buy or in L5R get issued. Um, And it's kind of balancing it so that... If it's too cheap, then suddenly there's swords everywhere. If it's not cheap enough, you kind of wonder why anyone makes anything when you can just buy it. Um, and I think a little of this is that we get a bit, we in the modern world get a bit confused. Like, why make a table? Because that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of skill to make a table, but you can just buy one off IKEA. <laughs> right. But you don't have. You don't have that kind of mass production. Everything is bespoke. Everything is handmade. And so it's a slightly different dynamic where you making that table yourself is going to be cheaper than buying it because some other artisan has to make that table and, and put in as much effort and as much whatever. 
So it's kind of a bit, it, it, it's, it's making it a good balance. And I think that's always tough in any crafting system. Absolutely. Now there is a sidebar, of course it's a sidebar, in the core rule book for crafting weapons and armor. Um, that sidebar can also apply to creating court clothing, like a fancy kimono, or useful tools like a fan or a tea set. It's not just uh, weapons and armor. But what we're talking about here is this thing is supposed to be cool. This is not something you just like drop in a downtime. This is something that's supposed to be a thing that gives you advantage in the long term. Okay. Yeah. And, and I get the feeling that the making of it should also be its own little mini scene. Like in the movie, there'd be a montage at this point. I think that's kind of how I feel it should be. And, and like, I also kind of question, because in the real world, if you are a sword maker or a chair maker or a fan maker, or whatever, to begin with, you're going to be making ordinary swords or fans or knives or, or tea sets. You know, they'll, they'll be entirely workable. They'll be fine. It's going to take a while before you make the awesome ones you know that that will be the plus one or or resplendent or whatever your, your your plus one tea set that gives plus one damage to tea i don't think that <laughs> and and we'll talk about we'll talk about making these cool things and what they can do now but right now there's nothing there's very little that that makes them cool so well but anyway for these these are key key objects you want them to be special you want them to be attached to the uh creation of the crafter yeah this is this is thing you're going to carry around you're not giving it, it should have a story it should have a story so you want these to have multi-phase checks you don't want to do this in a one-off roll all right but ha do it in multiple roles across multiple downtimes is generally the way that you would do this. So the way that I suggest <laughs> is to have a water plus skill check to acquire the right materials to make it in one downtime. You got to find the materials. Um, the TN for this should be based on the rarity of the materials uh, minus the size of the market available. So, um, and this is one that could potentially be delegated to another person in the party. Like if you have uh, Yasuki, they can work on this, and this is right up their alley. Um, or it can use a lord's resources if the lord has completely blessed you and given you all the stuff to do this. Although even, even if someone else is getting it, you may want to roll for selecting from what's available. You know, your, your, your Suki pal has got lots of really good materials and you have to find just the right ones from what they've got. Right. Um, I'm just, if there are things that make this particularly easy, you could delegate this out or, or skip this role. But it's still, um, it's still a moment that's required. So if you want to use the Lord's resources, maybe you had an intrigue ahead of time to persuade the Lord to let you make this thing. You know, it could be... It could be something like that. It doesn't have to be just a water skill roll. It could be some other way of getting those materials. Um, the main core 
creating the object role has always been either fire plus a skill, and the skill is either smithing, aesthetics, design, or composition, depending on what you're creating, to create the object, or water plus the skill to adapt the object if it already exists. So this would be um, if the magic sword was broken <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, yeah. To, you have to fix it. Uh, you know, if it's been destroyed, like got the destroyed quality and you need to, to fix it uh, or you need to adjust this thing, but it's still the epic story of adjusting the thing, adapting the thing. The TN for this is the final object rarity minus a deduction for the quality of facilities available to do this crafting in. So it'd be minus four for doing it in the finest, you know, for a sword or armor to do it in the finest Kikita Forge with all the best stuff. But it might be minus two to do it in the local smithy. Yeah, which is still significant. So that's that's an important aspect of it, yeah. All right, so you would always have that creation or adaption skill. And then the next thing for these multi-phase checks for really making it good, you would always have an air plus the skill to refine the object. All right. And it has the same TN with the same qualifiers as crafting the object in the first place. So everything needs to be refined when you're talking about these multi-phase checks. So you at least have, have those two. Okay in separate downtime activities. And the final um, check that you would have is avoid, uh, avoid plus skill check to bless or tune the object, because this is Rokugan. And if it's important, you're gonna have it blessed. You gotta have it, it's gonna be special. And for me, my inclination would be for things like swords and armor, and stuff would be have a TN that is 10 minus the honor of the crafter or, or something similar to that. Uh, if it was infamy, you might have it 10 minus the infamy or, you know, <laughs> but, uh, and it would be modified up or down based on where it's being blessed. So a really, this, this interaction of personal honor with the items that you're crafting is very much there in folklore. Yeah. Right? A, a good person makes a good sword, yeah. A good person makes a good sword. A bad person makes a poor sword. The quality of your spirit uh, is infused into the power of the item. Although sometimes a bad person makes a powerful but bad sword. But that has to go with this whole blessing or attunement thing. So I would have that, the TN for doing that be related to your honor. Honor is not used for a whole ton in L5R, so this is a good place to just. And I like the idea of there maybe being a ritual for blessing a workspace. Right. And we've talked about that, but you can take it down to the shrine of Bishamon or something to go get it blessed. And that might be better than doing it, you know, just here in your forge, you know. So so that could modify the TN. You're, or your forge could be a holy place that's set up for blessing such things. So, I mean, you know, Shinto rituals were used to purify the sword-making area. So that actually does all track. Mm -hmm. That's why I would almost always, especially for a weapon, 
uh, have have void plus skill and blessing and attunement as being part of it. But even for other things, because, you know, if you're going to go to winter court in your fancy kimono that you've just made, you want all the benefits of the kami you can get on you. I mean, that should just be your thinking going into it. So, of course, you can get your kimono blessed. That's totally reasonable. Um, so for key adventure kit items, like weapons, like armor, like ceremonial garb, I would say that you probably want three of those skill checks at least and three downtimes activities involved. Okay? Yeah. Make it, make it, make it count. Make it big. Make it good. There's some artisan schools that take advantage of this. You've got the Caillou Engineer and the Kikita Swordsmith. So they, they interact with these these roles pretty well. Yeah, these special they're they're about the special items. The Kikita Swordsmith's putting patterns on things. And the Kayo Engineer getting extra bonuses when he's using his own gear. So now he's making his own gear and then he gets the bonuses by using it. Basically what they've done to handle the problem of um making all the party gear extra good is instead of it the benefit going to whoever is wearing the special armor or special sword. It only goes to the artisan who created it to get the benefits of of that. That's just how Caillou work, which is a little odd, but there you go. Yeah, that's a little strange. The only time my Caillou engineer wore his own gear, it was completely accidental because he originally, because we're all Emerald, Emerald Magistrates, so I'm going to make a really super Emerald Magistrate suit of armor for our frontline Bushi. Mm-hmm. And then that character left, and suddenly I was the frontline bushy, and that was not quite my intention. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I'm wearing this really fancy armor, and I don't really feel that I'm fancy enough for it, but oh well. <laughs> but that's how the Kaihu work, school works. It doesn't give the benefit to the armor. It gives the benefit to you while you wear your own armor. Yeah. So, um, However... If you are having your party members go to the trouble of doing making their own awesome kit, you should probably have some benefits for them doing so. The advantage that is built into the system, the one advantage is that they can apply patterns during crafting, and the patterns are in the, the Shadowlands book. Now, almost all of the patterns are kind of expensive for what they do, because there are you know, three to eight XP, so they're more than a technique. And usually there's there's like one or two that only add a benefit, but most of them add a benefit and take away a benefit. <laughs> yeah, they might be add plus one, you know, damage, but minus one deadliness or something like that. They're, all the patterns are, are structured that way. Add something, take something away. So depending on how balanced those things are for your particular application, it could be a net zero <laughs> for adding the pattern. But if your application is specific, it might be great. It might, it might work well for you. So they are small in general. And because they are small, at least net, they're a bit expensive for what they actually do. But they get let you have the cool, cool benefit to your sword. So that's one way to do it. I think that was what I was one I was talking about before about getting that balance between how good is it versus how difficult is it to achieve versus how expensive it is to achieve. And one's opinion may differ as to whether they've hit the mark here. 
Right. Now, some other things you could possibly get from self-crafting, you could have a sword that is, or an item that is dedicated for a specific purpose. So there might be a one-time target number decrease for that specific purpose. So, mm, blur, my brain just completely fried. Well, so, so example, if I have spent all this time making the court kimono, right, and I'm going to be presented to the emperor, I can make that court kimono for the specific purpose of giving me a target number decrease by one, for example, for my role that I know is coming up to present my gift to the emperor. So now I look spectacular for the emperor and it's, I, I can have more bonus successes or whatever. You, you've basically tuned this for a specific purpose. And now it could be um, just one time as it is, or you can say the purpose is narrow enough that I'm going to give it a target number decrease every time it does this. So if it's going to be first strike in a, a duel, that might be first strike in a duel against this one person or um, first strike in a, you know, or first strike in the first duel I do to make it one time. Or you can have it work multiple times, but the purpose is extremely, extremely narrow. Like if, if this is a, a prayer bead necklace uh, that only works to lower a target number by one while saying a blessing at the Temple of Bishmon. <laughs> That's a very specific place and a specific purpose, and this would benefit you there. So it can ha work if every time you're saying prayers at the Temple of Bishmon, but that might not happen very often in the game. There are rules already in the game for adding attributes by spending opportunities. We talked about durable, but there are a few others. You can adapt things so you can make it something resplendent or concealable or war gear or, or so on, depending on what you're planning to do, what you want, what you need this item to be. Probably not that easy to make a Naganata concealable, but there are ways and means. And but those rules are there. Yeah, so that's a, that's a specific benefit for making it yourself. If you really want something that is tuned exactly to what you're going to be using it for. Absolutely. Another way to use this is to basically use this if you're going to dedicate this item to a specific purpose. So I'm going to create a sword. I'm a, I am an artisan who lives at home and I don't go out on adventures. This is an example. But I'm going to create a sword and give it to a duelist who is going to then use it to give vengeance on the man who killed my father. Therefore, them using that sword for that purpose would act as your revenge. You have basically done this revenge as if they had done it. It's a way of transferring the glory and the geary, uh, you know, uh, the ninjo, I should say, from one purpose to another, or the giri. <laughs> I guess it depends on what's doing. It, it transfers uh, through an object that from one to another. You know, creating this object accomplishes this ninjo giri thing if it is used for a purpose. Um, that's a very common trope. I quite like the idea of if you dedicate it to a particular purpose, it might get some bonus when it is being used for that purpose. But it either 
either just doesn't get that bonus when it's not. Like if you're fighting bandits with the revenge sword, if they're just bandits, then you don't get a benefit. You may even get a penalty. Like it's it's only meant to be used for this one purpose. And so it's not quite as good when it's being used outside of it. So that could be a fun thing. Mm-hmm. And and as I said, then it has all of the implications associated with fulfilling a ninjo or a giri in this object. <laughs> Another thing that's actually quite in genre, because you often get the, I have the mighty sword that can cut through anything trope. And if that's in the hands of a bad guy, that's a problem. So perhaps what you end up doing is you make armor that is specifically geared to negate that one advantage or that one ability that this other item has so you have the armor that can be that can resist the sword that will cut through any armor and that may require you need to get special materials that may require a special place to do it in special blessings or you could or it could be armor that's not quite as good against most weapons but it's specifically good against this one weapon and, of course, the other way around. A weapon that will negate something, an advantage or an immunity. That Oni armor. Yeah, exactly. You've made it, you know, here's the invulnerable Oni. So you go and make the sword that will only slay, <laughs> only hit. Yeah, you find the one thing that that Oni is vulnerable to and you build it into the sword. Exactly. Yeah. That's a very big plot, and that could that would be a great use of a multi-phase check, you know, learning that information about the Oni and then going and making the sword that will pierce the invulnerable Oni and then taking it and pierce the invulnerable Oni. Even if it doesn't do anything else extra, it's negated the armor. And that can be like a mini quest in itself for the whole group. And that is one of the wisest character adventuring it's because they need to make something very special. So they need to go out and find the stuff and the other people need to go with them because they have the skills to get it. Whereas the crafter has the ability to say, yes, that one. And that could be a whole little, you know, crafting quest. Mm -hmm. So we talked about creating weapons and some reasons you make them and do these big multi-phase, you know, forging, forging the, the hammer scene as it were. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about related to the artisan tag, and that is that there are certain things, in particular the blessings of steel ritual, but there are potentially others that are restricted to artisans. And blessings of steel is an awesome, awesome ritual (laughs) that your your party will love having you in the party for it. So that's a... (laughs) If if you can if you can bless everybody's swords before the fight that that's a very nice thing it, it gives good benefit so I just wanted to touch base that you know just just being there to be the I don't know I guess at that point you're kind of playing the bard role just I'm buffing everybody with my blessings of steel uh, is is a is a thing for you to do so you can you know think about your artisan in terms of that as well I just didn't want to go without mentioning it. So that's all we have this week on crafting. I hope that you found some ideas in there and, and, you know, put some, have some things to put to use, um, maybe for making a crafter or helping an artisan find things to do in your game. 
We wanted to call out our sister podcast, Fortune and Strife, who is on Medica hiatus right now, but we'll be back on our affiliated actual podcast. But it's our affiliated actual play podcast, as well as all our friends at D20 Radio. And of course, we want to thank our yes, Patreons. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, the support of our Patreons is how we keep the lights on. So we thank you very much for that. So as, as we say, our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, and that supports our editing costs, as well as our website, courtgamespod.com, where you can store and see long-term information, summaries of our podcasts, RPG tools, forums, and more. And also for our patrons, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and more things as we think of them. Online, you can find us at courtgamespod.com. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And on Patreon, we are patreon.com slash courtgames. But uh, that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.